you're kind of like, oh, I didn't credit that there. Uh, but that's for sure where it is. So uh, Hosea 10, we're right in the middle. I'm going to pick up with a verse we did cover last week, but I just kind of wanted to start there again to give us a running start. And it's uh, verse 11. It says, And Ephraim is a heifer that is taught, and loveth to tread out the corn. But I passed over upon her fair neck, and I will make Ephraim to ride uh, Judah, to, make, to ride, sorry, Judah shall plow, and Jacob shall break his cloth. And that was not stressful. Uh, plus, they're gleaning. That's not too bad. It's not like you're dragging a plow through, you know, hard soil with rocks and pulling all against it. So they, they like that. He said, you've, you've, had, you've had it pretty easy. You've just been reaping. You even had to do any of the other work. Same for us. We've kind of all been born in a ready-made world. You know, when you, when you stop and think back about what all we have and how it was all out on a silver platter for us, that we pretty much have had a silver spoon in our mouth. And then the more we look at that, that what a blessing it is and what a kindness it is. And there's some of us in here, you know, that we've had parents that went through the Grand, or the Great Depression, you know, or great-grandparents or something that they can remember. And they talk about the hard times and how they did things funny, you know, how they saved every bit of string and all the egg cartons and how they didn't waste anything, you know, and they just kept it all, you know, and we're such a throwaway society. Well, my printer's out of ink. Let's go buy a new one. You know, versus change the cartridge. You know, it's about cheaper anyway. You know, and so it's like, it's, I mean, literally work on something. That's crazy. Home Depot has, has uh, classes on how to do things because there's a generation that doesn't, they hire that. And these are self-home improvement stores where people are supposed to do it themselves and they have to generate a desire in people to do it. But millennials... Don't really have that desire. I'll just pay somebody or I'll do it. You know, versus home improvement that you do yourself. And so they, they offer that because there's not a lot. They don't know how. And it really puts us at risk in, in a lot of things. Um, in a lot of ways we don't think about. But some of it first it strikes you funny. And then when you spend time thinking about it, you're like, you know, that, that makes sense. And um, I'm going to take the moon landing for an example. Just because it's in the news again, we have something on the way to the moon right now. <clears throat> it's called Odysseus. And it's the first time that America has tried, well, that we think we'll be able to land on the moon in 50 years. Seems a little ridiculous, right? I mean, it seems like we're going on, like now it's 50 years, we're going to try again? Well, did we master that? You know, how, how come we quit? Uh, the last lunar lander was 50 years ago. NASA's not doing it. SpaceX is doing it. They used the Falcon 9 and they lifted up. NASA didn't even build the satellite. An independent company in Texas you know, built the, uh, the machine. Uh, we've, we had a failed attempt to go to the moon last month. It didn't work. Yeah, um, so there, there's high hopes in this that things are working, that we can do it again. And the goal is supposed to land and it's going to study space weather. If you haven't seen my last episode of uh, It's Later Than You Think, we talk about space weather. Um, radio astronomy and the surface 
uh, interactions on the moon, you know, so they're wanting to understand and study the moon better you know, because they plan on going to Mars, but we can't get back to the moon just yet. So uh, you know, should land tomorrow. We'll see. Well, no, tomorrow will it's successful. Uh, then you'll probably hear more about it. But the Saturn V rockets that we took to the moon in the Apollo missions had over 3 million parts, one of the most complicated machines we'd ever built. And that's not even including the limb or the landing module. That's not even including that. It was just the rocket to take the thing that Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin and all of them were in, just to take it there and put it on the moon. So just the rocket to get in there had over 3 million parts. It took vast industries to build it. It took a complex understanding of blueprints. I mean, I'm amazed when they're building 69. They've been going through Martinsville. It's like they're working way up here, and those guys are way down there. And how do they, you know, man, they must know how to read their blueprints, you know, to have it all come together, and it meets and it matches. Or downtown, when I'd watch them build a skyscraper, and I'm like, man, I'm having to think ahead of where all the wiring's going to go, and how this is going to be, and how it's going to all play out, and how it holds itself. This is super complicated. When Apollo ended, factories that made those parts shut down. The, the parts that they made, no one used anymore, and so they retooled. They set up for something else. They don't do that anymore. Uh, the, the jigs and the molds, they were destroyed. They took them out and melted them down so they could make new jigs and make new molds. And uh, the people that built all that and had the knowledge to build all that, to know what they were after, to use the skills to do it, retired. You know, oh, we did that. Now they retired. We went to the moon. We're done. Critical thinking and employment has been lost. Come on, we've all been at McDonald's. We're like, I want a number four, but I don't want fries. I want apple pie instead. They're like, I don't have a button for that. You know, they can't, we can't figure it out. You know, it's like I, I, we're used to push button. You know, is that a number three? Well, I'm kind of like a number three. You know, critical thinking's lost, let alone to, to do something like that. Um, because the hows and whys in which they do it was on the skill of a nation. It was a skill, and it was, it was, it was an effort by all, and in each of their industries, you know, kind of reaching beyond to build something that could withstand this and to go there. And so it was out-of-the-box thinkers and people who just knew and understood why it worked and not just the, you do this, you get that. You know, a lot of, we have that now a lot, right? Uh, we just like, well, we do that. Expertise has been lost, in essence. You know, there's whole industries where it's like, this is the last guy who knows how to do that, and once it's gone, it's gone. Um, we don't build them like we used to. Right, that's a true saying, right? We, we don't, you know, you usually buy one washing machine, now they'll throw, they're throw away as well and everything else. And so we also don't teach like we used to 50 years ago. You know, within the schools and with that, the, the standards have all been lowered and everything keeps set down. We keep lowering and lowering the bar, which puts us at greater, greater risk. We, we, we job things out, we send it all out and it puts us, and makes us exposed. And so they weren't building those things and so things became obsolete. You know, technology moved on. And you're thinking, well, at least my thought was always, well, yeah, computers got better, technology got better, machining got better, we should be able to make it. But now you just can't be replacing it with something that is better because now it weighs different. And the balance of the whole thing and the trajectory of how much thrust you had to give to get so much weight to get there, you change that off by a fraction, you're just shooting it in the middle of space. You're not going to hit a moving target, you know, <laughs> which is basically like we were shooting at a clay pigeon with a 22 and we hit it. We lost the ability to go to the moon. NASA came out and said that. We're like, why don't we go to the moon again? We, we lost how to do it. And at first blush, you're kind of like, really? We lost how to do it? It didn't get better? But then when you stop and you think about all those vast things, I guess so. 
to the point where like they were kind of like tied by it where it took someone else it took another innovator who's like I didn't do it the first time I thought of a different way and so we have Elon Musk who comes along and his rocket other than being tall really doesn't look like the others and doesn't fly like the others and you have fins on it and it lands back by itself which is pretty impressive and, and neat to watch but you know it's different that's rockets it's the same thing with a lot of our infrastructure in the United States especially our electrical grid we limp it along you know, power and substations have been there forever. That infrastructure's been built. And um, we can update little parts, and we have a few parts that have been stored away to put it in. But, you know, and we can withstand, you know, piecing it together. I know the power line over my property is spliced and spliced together. It looks like my, my favorite cassette in the 80s. You know, it's like where I pull it all out with a pencil and put some scotch tape on it. And, and all right, yeah, that song always has a whoop in the middle now. You know, but I, I kept it going and that's how the power's going on on my way. But one of our main fears as a nation is if our grid goes down, they said it might be years before we could ever get it back up. If something would happen that would trigger it and I don't know about you, but I've watched way too many shows talking about how they are attacking our grid with uh, cyber attacks. They're attacking it like they've done just little sorties where they run in and with them. They could take out the substation over here off uh, 135 up by Old Fairhaven. You say this, you need a logging chain and you throw it up in there and you ground it all out. And it pff, shuts it all out and everybody in this area is out of power. And, and they've had little trials like that here and there. So they know that there are people out there poking at our grid saying, how could we do this? Let alone if they all organize together. Like say we had, oh, 57,000 uh, illegal Chinese coming across our border established here, which we've had just this year alone, which is... Uh, an army <laughs> that we have there, so I, I don't know, but maybe, but some are kind of scared about that, but it, we depend on it working, and we depend on the people who build it, and when they are gone, and that is gone, they're like, it just works, and so they're saying to build it back up, it would take reviving industries in some areas to be able to do that, and a lot of those industries that we have, we don't have anymore, we've sent them overseas, and so we put ourselves in a dilemma, we are a dependent society anymore. And, and, and so it's a little bit crazy. We've kind of had Ephraim where we've had it good. where We just kind of gleaned off what's been given to us. And we've not put a lot of forethought into the future when this all needs updated and built. And, and how are we going to sustain this forever? Because we're just like, hey, I got it done. Let that be the next guy's problem. At one day, it's going to be the next guy's problem. Just hope it's not our, us, right? Uh, like I was just thinking in my, in my own industry, printers didn't have computers. I argued for my company to get the first fax machine. I was telling them, you can send images. You can get proofs and okays back and forth. And they were very like, I don't know, it seems crazy. You know, and that's it was probably in the 90s when, when before we even got a fax machine. You know, and then it was like, well, I know the hospital still used fax pretty heavily, right? <laughs> and, that, and I was reading articles about that today. It says faxes aren't dead. They're pretty reliable and still out there. But it, we didn't get our first computer in the printing industry and, and the industry I was in until 2006. When I just left in the fall, it was about all computer. The old technology, we couldn't even find. One of the fears we had when I left, another guy left, and we had one other pressman, and we're like, to get another pressman, you had to rob him from another printer because we don't have schools to teach it anymore. We don't have anything for that. And, and that's a whole way in which we communicate. Print you know, is a big, important thing. It used to be considered vital infrastructure. And so, you know, newspapers and traveling around and books and writing, yeah, yeah it was all gone. Uh, and so we were all dependent upon that. If the cloud went down, that, that whole industry's down. You know, technology doesn't work. It, it, it's gone. And so that's just that. That was Ephraim. That's Ephraim. Um, the old ways are artisan ways and the things that we might limp along and we kind of would write shop. And that, those guys are, might be valuable sometimes. But... Um, 
It all worked. Ephraim was the same way. They reaped the benefit. They had the money. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times, right? To tell two cities. We talked about at the beginning. It was fun to eat the corn. It was fun to have the profits and live out the profits and seemed like it was never going to go away. And all we have to do is sit here and reap the interest and the profits. Let's go. That, that's kind of us. They weren't used to working hard. Verse 11. And Ephraim is an heifer that is taught and loveth to tread out the corn. She loves that. But I have passed over upon her fair neck, or basically I put a hard yoke upon her. And I will make Ephraim to ride, and Judah shall plow, and Jacob shall break up the clods. Ephraim's not used to working hard. They're just used to hardly working. And God's about to put a heavy yoke on Ephraim's neck. Well, Ephraim's fine neck. It's about to get real, is one way we can put it. From living off the previous generation's hard work, mommy and daddy and granddaddy and great-granddaddy, to going to be a slave. That's their future. Oh, you're going to be the ones doing the grunt work now. There's no luxuries for you. There's no sit around and just have it. Now, you're going to provide for a foreign country. That's what, that's what the Ephraim, the house of Israel, was about to do. You're going to be the slave. You're going to be the labor. You're going to be the back in which they work on. Um, the Living Translation put it this way. It said, uh, a heavy yoke is on your tender neck. You know, it's like, oh, we're going to make, you, you get a tender, you can't even handle it yet. You know, think of, about having a sore on your foot from a brand new pair of shoes. Like, I'm putting a heavy neck on, heavy yoke on you, and you're going to have to pull. But God's not cruel. He's like, this is a hard judgment. It's not all your faults. He's all the other generations. He warns, and he warns again and again and again throughout all this. Repent, turn around. Let's see some, at least some movement. Are you at least going to turn a little bit towards me? You know, God kind of sits and watches that. Uh, is there any direction change? If he has these angels watching him, is there any direction change in the way they're going? Nah, not really. Uh, uh, hello, are they even hearing me? Do they hear my prophet? Do they hear Hosea? Do they hear what I'm saying? This is a gener generous offer I'm offering to them. Please listen, repent and turn around. Will, will you do something? Will you change your direction? God's been warning and warning and warning. So we get to verse 12. He says, sow to yourself righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Start sowing righteousness, he says. Stop what you're doing and change it and then do what I'm asking you to do. One of the greatest things about Christianity is that you can start anew. We can walk out of this place right now. We can, walk, we can start right now sitting in our chair. God, change my heart. Make me different. Change the way I'm going. Change my direction. Self-inspection is something that Christians do. We are looking at ourselves all the time. We should be. We're supposed to. That's what we read the word. We see it as a mirror. We look at ourselves. And, am I doing that? Am I right? Am I going right? Is my way right? Am I in the right thing? Am I, am I acting right? Am I behaving right? Am I right in how I'm responding to this? Am I, am I righteous in what I'm doing? And we are always in that sense because we're trying to be more like him. We're being molded into his image. It's called sanctification. You know, we, we, are, we are growing in our holiness. And as we grow in our holiness, we look, we're like, I used to do that last year. I could never do that now. That's called progress. You know, as we become more like Christ and we become more molded into his image. And God's saying, please, please change. Look at, hold your spot here. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Second Corinthians 9 and verse 6 says, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. 
and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Um, one of God's rules is pretty clear here. Do you ever stop and think, what do you hope heaven's going to be like for you? Because, you know, I, I, I bring it up often. It's, 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 it's a place, and we're all there. That's great. But the rewards aren't the same. You know, there, there's, there's a judgment seat where you are doled out. And he tells us all these stories like, the one I get five talents, I, I'll return five unto him. And I, great, you know, you're over five cities. I'm over two talents. You get two cities. You did nothing. <laughs> no, I'm taking everything from you, and I'm going to give it to the guy who had five. And, you know, so you don't get any reward. Uh, there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You're going to be upset with yourself. You know, he, he tells us all this all the time. Blessed is that servant who finds his master when he so comes, you know. But, oh, the other servants, they're, they're in a little bit of heat, you know. They don't lose their salvation. They, they have that foundation, which no man can make, but they have wood, hay, stubble. It all burns up. There's no gold, silver, or precious stones, and how much we get is depends on what we are doing. So now determines what it's going to be like. And so, are we going to be near the throne? Because that's the goal, right? Because we're going to see God for the first time, and he's going to be abject beauty. We're going to be, I want to see it. I want to gaze upon that. I want to be near him. Or we're going to be one that's on the edge of darkness, kind of like, hey, I'm here, but whoo, the skin of my teeth. He doesn't want us to have that. You know, we want to be close. And now determines that. We are Hoosiers, right? We should get this. We're boxed in by fields here. You know, field, field, field. You know, on the way here, field, field, field. You know, we, we have fields all around us. We have 10 acres here at Cornerstone. Little, maybe half of it is, is, is uh, fertile farm ground. That's our crop that goes out there. If I took that fertile crop out there, that fertile ground, and I went out there and I just took a handful of corn and threw it out, and like, woo, uh, can't wait to see what we get. That'd be kind of stupid. That'd be a lot of waste of ground, wouldn't it? No, no that, that's going to be a little return. I throw a handful of corn out, maybe whatever volunteer comes up. No, sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. But God says this, and he always puts it, he goes, yeah, I'm telling you the hard thing at first. The good news is, you sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully, bountifully, generously. You're going to reap generously. you generous, I'm going to be generous. Where are we? Are we generous or are we stingy? You know, are, 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 we, are we the ones that um, are sparing? Or are we going to be the ones who are generous and bount, uh, uh, generously giving things? Or are we bountifully going to be doing it? And it's not just talking about money. We're like, well, I have what I have. Okay. It's talking about time. Do you give him your time? Do you invest your time in him, for him, with him? What about your talent? Does God give you talents? He's given you gifts? He's given you abilities? Do you try to seek some way? How can I serve the Lord in this and what I'm doing? Sometimes he uses your talent to give you the money to be able to help him. Do, you know, he, he, he's very creative in how he does it and how he can move and how he can work. And you think that there's something, how could God could use this? I can probably, wouldn't take a long search and see where somebody's turned it into something where they can serve the Lord. And so, yeah, time, talent, and your treasure, that as well, you know, um, I said, for 40 years, I tried to use what God had given me for printing to, to fund my Christianity. You know, I was a Christian funded by printing. That, that, that's what I did. I tried to, tried to take that attitude as I did it. Do you invest yourself in God's work? How are you? Or who are you? In Hosea 10, verse 12, God sees us as a field. Sow to yourself in righteousness, reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. 
Um, God sees you as a field. So God's the farmer or the husbandman. And he's talked about this before in Hosea 9.10, Hosea 9.16, Hosea 10.1, you know, about he's the vineyard dresser. He is the husbandman to the vineyard. But it's you and, and me that he's looking over. So what does God see when he sees us as his field? Hmm. You know, what, what does, how, how does he see you? Say you're 10 acres. Say, say we're like the church property. Is it 100% fruitful? Is it 50-50? You know, do we have it divided up? Uh, see, I was trying to think about our church property. Say, is it 40% corn or field? We got 10% hay that we let them take off. We got 10% grass that we get to mow. And then we have like 30% uh, parking lot. And, no, 10% parking lot, 30% church building. You know, we're, we're using the grounds that we have that he's paid for, you know, to try to proclaim and put the gospel. The grass that we mow would be what would be follow ground. I, I, you know, we're, we're counting the, the corn as productive. We're counting the church as productive. But the grass that we mow would be fallow ground. It's unused. It's got weeds in it in places. It's got rocks in it. There's a ditch, you know, that plagues us. If you've ever been mowing, it holds water, and then it's now like the, the slough of the spawn. You're like, oh, I almost made it. And you're going to truck in, and I'm stuck, and everybody's going to see I got stuck. We're like, Justin was playing in the mud again. Or, oh, Dave had to come pull him out or what. You know, so we, we've all been there. We've all sweated it out, you know. Carl probably holds a record. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, but uh, time on it. More time on the mower, the more you're going to get stuck. But it's, you know, there's, there's weeds, but how's that with you? What's in you? What's your flowers? What's your mud spot? We have fallow ground. And he says right here, he says, break it up. Break up your fallow ground. Use it. If we were dependent on this property for us all to eat, Man, we'd be thinking, where else could we grow it? Can we stack it in there too deep? You know, can, we, can we put layers on this or something? Can we make it all useful? Can we make your life all useful is what he's talking about. It's, it's laid useless too long. Is there something that you've had? Is there parts of you that you've held back that's been fallow ground? He's saying, I want you to consider yourself. Is there something that needs to be plowed up and ready? Because if it's plowed up and ready, it's ready to receive the seed. You can throw it on hard ground, and you have the whole parable there. Some land on the road and some on a rock. You know, but the plowed up fertile ground is ready for it. The plowed up fertile ground that's been tilled, ready, it's there. It's tilled up. And stop waiting for that perfect time to do what God might use you for. He's been put in your mind or stuck in your crawl. Quit waiting for the right circumstance. Quit waiting for the stars to align or that fleece to get wet or dry, whatever. You say, well, no, 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 that was pretty close. It almost showed me what I needed to do. Now if you just did it one more time. Take a step of faith. Trust him. Move. Turn it up. Turn it over. Give it to God and say, I'm, I'm ready. Let's go. Look what it says. He says, for, for it is time to seek the Lord. Look at Isaiah 55. Isaiah. Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Isaiah 55, 6. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, and he will abundantly pardon. It's, it's time to seek the Lord. 
Seek him while he may be found before he hides himself or it's hard to find or you are so busy trying to stay alive you, you can't have time to think about him. Hosea 10, 12 says, seek the Lord while he may be found basically until he comes. When's he going to come? I, I don't know. He's going to come either for us all at once, the rapture, looking forward to that, or he comes and gets us as individuals one at a time. Time to go home. Well done, thou good and faithful servant, we hope. So we need to get busy. And I can read the second part of Hosea 10, 12 two different ways. Uh, the first way it says, For it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Say so it's a good field. I, say, I can see it that way. It's a good field. It's planted with good seed. It's sown. You've sown your work. You've used your talent, whatever it is. And then the righteous heavenly rain falls on it, and when it rewards and when it brings forth, it's bountiful because it's God's blessing rain, you know, the living waters that comes and changes it and makes it alive. Uh, look at Luke 6, just to keep you awake and hopping. Oh. I was, yeah, sorry. Luke 6. <laughs> yeah. 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 I guess Charles Finney, the same way. There's a major drought going on, and they are having a thing to pray. He was the only one that showed up with an umbrella. And he was like, "Man, <laughs> we not pray believing? Are we not praying saying is God going to do it?" I'm pretty sure it rained. Uh, but here in uh, Luke 6 and uh, verse 38, it says, Give and it shall be given unto you good measure. This is Jesus telling you about what it's like with his Father. This is that heavenly righteous rain. Give and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure to which you meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. This is how God rewards. Pressed down, fool. I mean, again, I think of him. I always think of a milkshake. You know, <laughs> oh, get some ice cream in there, push it, get a little bit more, press down, fool, shaking, running over. Oh, I think I can get a little bit more. I could fit it all in there and just run it over. It's bountiful. It's pouring over the edge. And you're like, man, I want a generous person making me my ice cream. You know, they're making it full. It's jam-packed. It says it'll be rewarded according to how you've done, right? We, we talked about sparingly and bountifully. He says here, it's how you've meted unto you. Measure that you've meted or how much you have given determines how much you get back. Heaven is an investment. God is an investment. And he's an excellent return. He says, oh, I'll give what you've given and I'm gonna give back. Man, you were generous. I'm gonna be generous. Ah, throw a little bit more. Give him one more on top. I think he can still carry this. Throw that on there as well. That's, that's how God wants to be. He wants to give it to you extra. This is the area, and again, in giving, and I, you know, I don't, I remember getting together with preachers once, and they were all like, how often do you preach about money, brother? And I'm like, when it comes around, I do a book at a time, a verse at a time, because I would probably avoid it all the time. You know, but if it's going to come up, I'm like, I don't even, we don't even take an offering. We have a box in the back. Like, what? I'm like, yeah, that's, I trust God that he will give the increase. And so it's up to everyone individually as an act of worship at our church. And they're like, but the devil's had that money long enough. It's time for you to get it. And I'm not a cornerstone. That's not my view. That's not my point. That's not what I'm going to do. Uh, 
But this is one area where God says, you want to try me? You want to test me? Matter of fact, the word he uses, you want to prove me? Malachi 3.10 and giving. You try to outgive me. God says, I dare you. <laughs> I dare you. So that's one way I see it. That Yeah, it's ground that has been reaped and he's about ready to rain some righteousness on it and he's going to make it bless and come forth. He's going to reward your effort. He says, yeah, I want you to break up that foul ground. God says, I will give you an increase. You do the work. Yeah, he saves us by faith. We're not talking about works righteousness here. We're talking about our reasonable sacrifice, our reasonable service, you know. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, Romans 12, 1, right? Reasonable sacrifice. Or the second way I could read it is the reign of righteousness upon you comes as in you are that field, and he is the field owner. And he has come to collect, and he finds that your field is barren. It's still fallow and still unused. It's still unattended. It's still un empty and uncared for. It's like that fig tree that Jesus was like, oh, I wanted a fig on it. No fig. Curses it. Dries it up, roots and all. Or the, he tells another story, the, the vineyard owner, when he gets there and he's like, the, 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 it's not producing anything? Get it out. Cut it up by the roots, drag it out. And the guy's like, whoa, 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 whoa. let me dig it. Let me put some dung around it and make it, give it one more try. But he says he comes and he's going to expect it and say, okay, what have you done? He's, he's, the, he's, the, he's the one, uh, the man who goes on the long journey that has doled out the five talents, the two talents, and the one talent. And now it's collection time. He's like, what have you done? Well, I knew you were a hard man and I was afraid I'd offend you and do it wrong. So I buried it and put it in the ground. You wicked and slothful servant. I don't want to hear those words. I don't want any of us to hear those words. It could be that. I think that is a righteous reign. When is righteousness released? It's upon unrighteousness. If you've been unrighteous, that is called judgment. And he pulls it upon you, and it is a reign of righteousness. That's what Armageddon is. It's Jesus Christ coming down in righteousness, and the wicked flee. The light runs, and it destroys them. And I don't want to be there. So which way? I think it's probably both. He spells it out for us here a little bit in verse 13. He says, you have plowed wickedness. You have reaped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies, because thou didst trust in thy way and in the multitude of thy mighty men. Uh, same old principle, you reap what you sow. He says, you plowed wickedness, so what do you expect to reap? What are you going to reap? You're going to reap iniquity. You're going to reap sin. Oh, what's the fruit? What of the fruit did you eat? What have you been gleaning off of? You've been gleaning the fruit of lies. I was watching something this morning that was talking about the threat of AI, and, and there's a lot of things you can watch about the threat of AI, but they said one of the main threats about AI is in the next, well, probably now, is that you will be able to discern a truth from a lie because it's putting it out there all the time. Is that a deep fake? Is that a not deep fake? Is that Putin or not Putin? Is that Biden or not Biden? Was, well, who wrote that? They said been right in print and voice recognition. There's a lot of phone scams going on now where it sounds like your grandkid. It looks like your grandkid saying, I need money. Pay me in Walmart cards. And it's like, mm, that's probably not your grandkid. You know, and so it's like there's all these things that are going on to scam people because we live in a day and age of deception. And so we need to be on guard. Yes, wife. He got the call while she was in there, and it was, Grandpa, Grandpa, I need help. I need help. And he's like, who is this? And um, Amy, the nurse, heard it. She goes, let me talk to him. And so she questioned him, and they were like, um, they said, like, be quiet. Get the, get the phone back to him. 
we're in trouble, all this kind of stuff. But it was totally a scam. And I thought it happened when he was there and somebody was there. I didn't know that he would have fallen for it, but that kind of stuff is rampant. That's what we all know. It's like, yeah. They prey upon the older ones who don't understand the technology as much as like, you know, when you hear a call room and it's all like, hey, and I'm like, that's hanging up on them. You know, you hear that little whoop, you're like, all right, you're a scam. Yeah, it's like, yeah, so we have, but we're more privy to it, you know, or we're more savvy to it, I guess, than, than they are. But yeah, they try to take it. But fruit of lies. I think we can also take that. Who do we believe? I think God's saying here, you didn't trust me. You didn't trust me out of the word. And that's where we are here now. Do we trust God and do we take him at his word? Because it's coming down to the degree. Do we take him and trust him at his word? This is truth. It's been truth. It will be truth. The world's ever changing, and yet people are trying to compromise and allow things into the church that have no business being there and take it. And so God's like saying, you trusted men? How many people try to justify evolution? They trust in psychology. Well, they'll trust the science. They'll trust colleges. They'll trust the new morals. They'll trust the new ethics. They'll trust whatever. They'll, they'll go and they're ever changing. They're ever going. But you went with the crowd. You stood with the masses. You went with them because it was safe. You know, I don't want to be the standout. I want to be the isolated one. I don't want to be picked out from the crowd. There's a stairway to heaven and a highway to hell. They say that tells us a little bit about traffic expectation. You know, I think that's right. Heaven has walls and gates. Hell has open borders. You know, <laughs> letting them all come in from all sides. The crowd drowned. Eight souls lived. Because that was crazy man talking. Rain? A boat? That's nuts. Looney Tunes? Then it started raining. Then they're all pounding and let me in. But the time had come and it was too late. The crowd cried out, crucify him. Eleven believe. Right? The world says, it's foolish. Trust science. Millions of years. And God says, believe me, I was there. Six days. <laughs> I created it about 6,000 years ago. First-hand account given by him. He says, who are you going to trust? Who are you going to believe? You're going to believe me or you're going to believe them? Verse 14. Therefore shall atonement arise among thy people, and all thy fortresses shall be spoiled, and Shalman spoiled Beth, um, Beth Arbel. In the day of battle, the mother was dashed in pieces upon her children. Let me get through this real quick and we'll finish this chapter. Uh, Atonement means an uproar or a crash. It says there's a crash coming. There's a big loud, there's a noise, there's a bang. You know, believe in the big bang? God's like, yeah, one's coming. <laughs> um, all their strongholds are spoiled, their fortresses. Uh, what are they trusting in? What's their stronghold? What are they dependent on for their future? Is it the economy? Is it the stock exchange? Is it the welfare system? Is it the social security? Is it your retirement account, your IRA? Is it the country even being there? I depend upon the USA. There's no guarantee. Is it about the safety and the security that you have in our current state of mind and how things are in the United States? They can all be ripped away from us and taken away. That's what he's telling. He goes, I'm doing that to them. They thought they were safe and secure. They thought they had it all. They had everything in place just like you do. He goes, and I took it away in a day. I can do the same. Do you heed my warning? Are you steering the ship? Are you breaking up your fallow ground? Um, Shalaman that he mentions here means fire worshiper. So that tells you he's a good guy. No, this is a bad guy, right? This is a, a pagan king. He liked to watch it burn. Uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's like a V-Fin Vendetta kind of guy. Um, it's a shortened name for Shal Shalmaneser. He is the king of Assyria, the one who comes and takes them away. And in an earlier battle at Beth Arbel, 
which is in the Valley of Jezreel, which has been talking before, which is where Armageddon happens. And so uh, the Assyrians were known for their horses. The valley there is open and flat. It was great for them to come in and run across real fast. And this was the first city that they met, and they just overtook it in a, in a hurry. And so it just came upon him, boom, boom, gone. And he's saying, that's what's going to happen to all the rest of us. It's going to come in and be done before we know it. And he says, the mothers, um, this is the way what ancient society worked and probably how things were about ready to turn. Uh, the mother was dashed in pieces upon her children. What's, what's that mean? That means when they came in and they gathered up the people and they were overtaking the city and they attacked the men and they would come then because they were not only just to come, they also spread fear and terror. It's how they work. Think October 7th when the Palestinians came in. Do they attack the army? No, they attack people in their houses. They grab babies out of their beds. They rape the women and the young girls while they were there, drug them on their motorcycles and put them into the tunnels of Gaza. You know, they, they took them down that way. You know, don't get me going. But, but uh, so what are, how do these guys work? They take the mothers and they assemble them all together. Then they grab their babies and they kill their babies in front of their mothers. So their mother's now hysterical, crying, distraught, just watching their babies being killed. Then they kill their mother. So the last thing that they see is their babies being dashed and then they dash them against them. All future is gone. That's the hope of tomorrow, right? Women and children, the ones we protect, save them, keep them. Ephraim couldn't handle mean tweets. Now all this awaits them. No, wait a minute, that was us. <laughs> that's just personal. <laughs> Trying to make it relevant here today. But that's, that's, that's the, in a sense, they were soft. They were soft. We are soft. Founding fathers were not soft. George Washington shot some of his own troops because they deserted, because they ran away. And he says, we are not going to have that in our ranks. I'm going to depend on you, you're going to depend on me. And so the first guy, they showed mercy. They brought him up to the time to execute him in front of the whole general army. But he had to do it again and say, this is serious. Do we have it in us to be serious? I don't, I don't know as a country, right? We've gone soft. We need to have kindness. We need to have compassion. We need to have all that. But there's a time. This is, God's like, it's getting real. And I've been trying to send real warnings to you. I don't want to do this. Turn around, break up your fallow ground. You know, he's given them this offer. We have gender-confused leaders. I don't know how the world's not attacking us. When we have one of our top officials thinks he's a girl, you know, and uh, we are outraged. What gets our country outraged? What gets our officials outraged? If you use the wrong pronouns, they fired some 90-year-old woman because she asked what a pronoun was. They fired her from the company. They fight for gender reassignment in the military. That's what we're focused on. What are they going to do in the face of the enemy? Roll over, right? That's, that's sad to think that that's our country. It's a cruel, evil judgment to be in the prosperity and then the softness where we've had, we've only been reaping the good and we've not had to work for the hard. It doesn't bode well. How many of us have worried about the next generation, right? The generation coming up and them being in charge. Oh, yeah, all of us, right? Because we think about it and we're like, they can't do the hard. We've worked next to them. We've seen how they work. We've seen their ethics. And we're like, there's not much hope, right? This is, unless we turn it around, right? We can have a revival. We can turn it around. If God delays and tarries, it comes quickly. Verse 15. So shall Bethel do unto you because of your great wickedness. In the morning shall the king of Israel utterly be cut off. It's going to come fast. It's going to seem like when it comes down against Israel, they're going to be like, man, 
Where'd the warning go? It just seemed like we had time and now it's gone. Anybody think this is going to be an average voting year where we just get done and we're like, oh, transition of power is going to be smooth, everything's going to go right? None of us, right? If you're, if you're awake at all to anything, you know, I'm not just wanting to talk all politics, it's not all politics, it's our whole culture that feeds all of this. I don't think anybody thinks. I haven't heard anybody talk about this fall thinking about, you know, it'd be a good time to go on vacation and just lounge around. It's probably going to be calm, smooth sailing. It's going to be crazy world, right? No matter who wins, no matter which side wins, and it's not going to be no great thing of changing over this transition of power that we've been known for that's astonished the world. It's kind of gone. So I think we should take heed here, get to work on our fallow ground. Start turning this stuff over and steering the ship and turning it back around towards God. And so he says judgment usually begins at the house of the Lord. And so he's calling to us here saying, let's get real. Let's think. You got something in you that you've been hanging on to that's hard? Let's break it up. Is there something in you? Could you be more useful for me? Could you be more useful for the kingdom? Is there more that you could do for me? And again, he's, I don't think he's calling all of us to just drop everything and sell and we all can be missionaries, but maybe, I don't know. But what has God put upon your heart? And who do we get behind? And how do we support? And how do we, how do we get the good news of the gospel out? And are we fervent about it? We should have that fervency that Romans 12 talked about. We have that kind of passion. We have all Romans 8 behind us. You know, we're in such a place where we have all these facts and all these truths to us. We should be fleshing our faith out. We should be more active about sharing the gospel. I'm keeping an eye on politics, but my hope's not in politics. I, I want to make sure it's going. I have no hope in it. I don't trust in that. I trust in the Savior. I trust in my King. And I want to save souls. I'm going to try to reach them for the gospel of Christ. And I appreciate you going along with me. And look for your input as well. But uh, we'll start with chapter 11, which makes a turn. It's no longer doom and gloom as much. But... Uh, it doesn't make it happy. It's not happy, but it's still, uh, it's insightful. So I look forward to going through that with you as well. So appreciate y'all being here. Uh, Saturday, uh, sign up if you haven't. We're going to get our count tonight to make sure we have enough uh, for everybody. And uh, so we hope you can come and uh, we'll have a, a fun evening planned together uh, uh, this, this, uh, this Saturday if you can sign up for that. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day and we thank you for... Uh, this hard word from Hosea, and, and Lord, that we would be at this text here and now. Forgive me for always being astonished about how you work and how your word's so relevant, but Lord, man, your word's, your word's so relevant, and I'm astonished about how it applies. Forgive me for not having eyes to see before, but I thank you for the years that, and the time I've put in, Lord, that um, I can see things clear. And, and, and Lord, I pray that you would just help us, help us as individuals, Lord, what can we be doing? Help us as a collective here, as Cornerstone Church, a group of people gathered together from around this central part of Indiana. What should we be doing? How should we be acting? What should be on our forefront? Lord, help us to quit wasting time. Help us to uh, break up the time foul ground as well, and our talent foul ground, and our treasure foul ground to be able to use it towards you, for you and to furtherance of the gospel. Lord, while this world is lost and dying, may we be the voice of reason and hope. And Lord, give us that strength. Give us that faith. May this strengthen our faith so when the hard days come, or whatever's coming, Lord, that we have a reason of the hope that lies within us. Lord, help us as we rehearse, as we rehearse and as we practice. And Lord, help us as we go out as individuals and do this, Lord. Use us for your kingdom and to your glory. And it's in your son Christ's name that we pray this, Lord. Amen.